And what a good morning that was. That's fantastic. Isn't it good when God shows up? Okay, if you want to turn to Joshua 13, we're going to. Um, I'll attempt to read this out loud for you without paying, making too many mistakes on names. Uh, I think we're about, I think it's, it's literally halfway through the uh, chapter-wise of Joshua now. Um, it's the halfway stage, so we're on the home stretch for those of you who are regular attenders and have um, been with us since the beginning of Joshua all those years ago. <laughs> <laughs> The, uh, the passages are going to get a bit longer, I think, in terms of what's dealt with on a Sunday, as there's um, going be slim pickings at times, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Please, if you're a biblical scholar, forgive me if I get some names wrong. Um, I would like to not read the passage, but I think we've, we've read every passage out so far, so let's continue to do this, and it could be someone else's turn in future. <coughs> now, Joshua was old and advanced in years. You know you're old if God says you're old. <laughs> now Joshua was old and advanced in years and the Lord said to him you are old and advanced in years and there remains yet very much land to possess this is the land that yet remains all the regions of the Philistines all those of the Gershurites from Shehor which is east of Egypt northwards to the boundary of Ekron it is counted as Canaanite there are five rulers of the Philistines those of Gaza, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gath and Ekron and those in the Avin in the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, to Aphek, to the boundary of the Amorites, and the land of the Gebelites, and all Lebanon towards the sunrise, from Baalgad below Mount Hermon to Labo Hamath. All the inhabitants of the hill country, from Lebanon to Mizrepheth, Maim, all the Sidonians, I myself will drive them out from before the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore, divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With the other half-tribe of Manasseh and the Reubenites, the Gadites, received their inheritance which Moses gave them beyond the Jordan eastwards, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. For Eror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and in the city in the middle of the valley, and on the ta all the tableland of Medeba as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the boundary of the Ammonites and Gilead, and the region of the Gershurites and Machathites, and all Mount Hermon, and all Bashan to Salakar, and all the, the kingdom of Og in Bashan, all who reigned in Ashtaroth and in Edrei, he alone was left of the remnant of Rephaim. These Moses had struck and driven out, yet the people of Israel did not drive out the Gershurites or the Machathites, but Gershaw and Machath dwell in the midst of Israel to this day. To the tribe of Levi alone Moses gave no inheritance. These offerings by the offerings by fire to the Lord of God, Lord God of Israel, are their inheritance, as he said to them. And Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of the people of Reuben, according to their clans. So their territory was from Aror, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and the city in the middle of that valley, and all the tableland by, by Medeba and Heshbon, all its cities that are in the tableland, Hibon and Bamoth Baal, and Beth Baal Meon, and Jahaz, and Kedemoth, and Mephath, and Kirathane, and Sibma, and Zerashah, and on the hill of the valley, and on Beth Peor, and on the slopes of Pisgah, and Beth Jashimoth, that is all the cities of the tableland, and all the kingdom of Sihon, 
and the king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, whom Moses defeated with the leaders of Midian, Evi, and Rechaim, and Zer, and Hur, and Reba, the princes of Sihon, who lived in the land. You can laugh, it's fine. <laughs> Balaam also, the son of Baal, the son who... Balaam also, the son of Baal, the one who practiced divination, was killed by the sword of the people of Israel among the rest of their slain. And the border of the people of Reuben and the Jordan was a boundary, and this was the inheritance of the people of Reuben, according to their clans, with their cities and villages. Moses gave an inheritance to the tribe of Gad and to the people of Gad, according to their clans. Their territory was Jazir and all the cities of Gilead, and half the land of the Ammonites to Eror, which is east of Rabbah, and from Heshbon to Ramath Mizpeh, and Bethanim, and from Manaheim to the territory of Debir, and to the valley of Beth-Haram, Beth-Nimrah, Sukkoth, Zaphon, the rest of the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Heshbon, having the Jordan as a boundary, to the lower end of the sea of Chinnereth, eastwards, beyond the Jordan. This is the inheritance of the people of Gad, according to their clans. <coughs> and Moses gave an inheritance to the half-tribe of Manas Manasseh, it was allotted to the half-tribe of the people of Manasseh according to their clans. The region extended from Manaheim through all Bashan to the whole kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, and all the towns of Jer, which are in Bashan. Sixty cities in half Gilead and Ashtaroth and Edrei, the cities of the kingdom of Og in Bashan. These were allotted to the people of Machir, the son of Manas Manasseh, for half the people of Machir according to their clans. These are the inheritances that Moses distributed in the plains of Moab, beyond the Jordan east of Jericho. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord of God, Lord God of Israel, is their inheritance, just as He said to them. Okay, so that's the passage read. <laughs> I'm sure 50% at least of those pronunciations were horrific. Um, well, I'm not Hebrew, so despite the, the throw. Um, when we look at a passage like that, when we're reading a passage like that, it can, I'm going to be honest here, I may get in trouble, it can be quite boring. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, difficult names to pronounce, difficult locations. It all gets a bit confusing with what goes where, and unless you're sort of doing a map or making a map up yourself or looking at a map. Um, especially in a book like Joshua where there's sort of all through right up to now there's been there's been crazy fights going on with like super large hailstones and now you get into the part where there's crazy lists with super large names see <laughs> um, so however these seemingly boring passages because they are only seemingly boring um, they've got lots of little treasures hidden in them and uh, I'd like to briefly say two things about that I'm just going to move this slightly and try not to spill the water that's in there um, and those two things are, one, don't worry if you skim read them a bit, um, and two, take the time to study them and find out their significance. Now those two statements are seemingly opposed, but what I'm meaning is, if you're reading through like a Bible in a year type plan, or it's your daily reading and you get to this passage, and it's in your devotional time, don't get bogged down in this kind of a passage. I can remember when I first got really into reading my Bible, I had my Bible in a year, and of course Joshua's quite near the beginning, Numbers is quite near the beginning, and you, you're like, there was 22,000 of this, and there was 22,000 of that, and there was 22, and, it's, and it repeats. And for a long time I, thought, I was like, yeah, I'm so enthusiastic to read it, and you read Genesis and it's all good, and there's lots of stuff happening, and then 
get to know the Zinni's or yeah, it's, it's, it's becoming a bit of a chore. So what I want to say to you is don't get bogged down in those sorts of passages. The approach that I would say take is like, you ever seen those guys on the, on the beach with the mine, uh, not mine sweepers, the metal detectors? <laughs> They're like, you know, everyone's seen one of them guys, guys you know, like, <laughs> it up, it's, like it's, a, it's a bottle cap or a spoon or something. <laughs> but apparently people do find lots of treasures like that, so don't mock them too hard. Um, <laughs> I do mock them. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so just sort of just scan over it. If if something bleeps, some if there's something comes up, then you think, oh, I'll, I'll look at that and read it a bit more and think about it. There's a few that have come that are in this passage. There's, there's quite a lot actually. Um, and then also, but if you're if you're not reading through a sort of a, a, a daily planner type uh, reading schedule and you're studying a book, if you're studying the book of Joshua. I would encourage you get some commentaries, get some uh, get some books that are around the topic, and uh, and study them and go into a bit more deeper about what the actual the lists represent. And that's more if you sort of take the treasure analogy. That's like someone who you know one of those crazy old dudes in the film that they've got a, those weird cowboy hats and the onesie on. You know the baby grow for a man, and they're there and they're they're in the river and they're they're panning for gold. That's you sort of they set up their shack and they this little the little stream going by and they've set up all their thing and they're just they're just toiling for ages to find a little nugget of gold and then they put it to the side and they build it up. Um, so I am condoning the, the wearing of onesies for adults. <laughs> so those are the two, I think those are the two ways we need to approach this passage, these types of passage. Don't get stuck in the sense of, oh, I need to look up how to pronounce this name exactly right so that I can read it properly and I'm getting the full out of it. Just skim over it. I'll, I'll admit, sometimes when I'm reading this sort of passage, I'll go, yeah, okay, there's a bit of dialogue there, and I'll skip through. We don't need to be setting ourselves legalistic, lawful things when we're reading the Bible. We need to be free to get out of it what God wants to get out of it. But don't skip them all together, because there are good parts in there. So just doing a quick detector sweep of the, uh, of the passage. Um, if we take verse 1 with verses 6 and 7, it says... Joshua was old and advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old and advanced in years, and there remains yet very much land to possess. Okay, and then if we go down to verse 6 and 7, it says, um, All the inhabitants of the hill country of Zer, I myself will drive them out before the, Lord, the people of Israel. Only allot the land to Israel for an inheritance, as I have commanded you. Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance to the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh. So what's happened there is we can see because in between that, it's just a list of all the different territories. So that's why I've skipped down. If you look at verses 1 with 6 and 7, we can see that Joshua is, is advanced in years. God says to him, you're old, man. You, you're getting past it, Joshua. But what he does says then is, I want you to move from the role that you've had to this role. So I want you to move from someone who's the military captain going, yeah, let's go and fight, to saying... Right, I want you to, you to go here, and I want you to go there, and I want you to take that land. And so what he does is he changes the role of Joshua. And for me, that's, that links into a theme which goes throughout the Bible, where you see repeatedly that God chooses the youngest to, to do things, which traditionally in, their, in the culture it would be the oldest male would be the, the one who inherits everything and who is the, takes on the family rights, whereas God often chooses the youngest. God often choose, uh, chose women to work through, which in that context would have been 
a big no-no because it's like, oh, well, hang on, she's a woman, she's like, you read judges, there's a judge called Deborah who, and read the book of Esther, these are all women who did did fantastic things. Um, what, I, what this theme links to then, what these verses where it says you're old but you can still do stuff, it says that no one should discredit themselves or other people from serving God based on any sort of physical attributes. It says in Samuel that God looks on the heart rather than the, the outward appearance. If we then look at verse 33, which is at the end of the, the sort of final verse, or verse, second, yeah, final verse, it says, But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance, just as he said to them. God was the inheritance of the tribe of Levi. As Simon has said this morning, we are a priesthood, all the believers are part of that priesthood now. Because when Jesus came, when the Holy Spirit came, the tribe of Levi served as what you did is if you had a sin you'd, you'd take your sacrifice you'd go to the, the Levite the, the guy who was there who was the priest and you say I've done this here's my sacrifice sort me and God out because of what Jesus has done we've got a mediator of Jesus who we can go to and, and talk to God through Jesus but we also have God in us through the Holy Spirit God is among us so we don't necessarily we don't need that that man to go between us and God it, it, in a sense, Jesus is still doing that, but we don't have a. There's not another human being that we go to and say, "Priest, can you help me do this?" Because we're all priests. We don't have to wear those collars. So what that says to me is that you can see from that passage there's a link into the priesthood of all believers as a as a principle. But there's also a principle of the fact that those Levites didn't get an inheritance in the land. They didn't get. A physical plot of land to live on. They were given cities within other people's land, and they were given things within other people's land to, to use. But they got their portion was from sacrifices of God, and that links into the theme that, as believers in God, we should not have too much stock in the, in the, the earth, as it were. We should be setting for ourselves treasures in heaven, and not treasures on earth. And I'm not saying don't buy a home or don't own things. I'm saying far more important that we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then the things that we need will be added to us. That's a quote from scripture, that's not from I've just made that up just in case you were wondering. <laughs> sounded good though, didn't it? Okay, the principle that I want us to focus on this morning though is found in the middle of verse 6 and it, I think it fits quite nicely in with what everything has uh, been shared this morning so far about God being the exalted one, the one who's so many people have said it to me this morning has gone before um, God says to the inhabitants of the land that says of the inhabitants of the land who are there so the people who are preventing the Israelites from going in and taking their inheritance and taking all that's theirs he says I myself will drive them out before you I want us to look at how this applies to us as a church the people of God and we'll look at it in two parts I also want to look at it briefly oh, Right, so two parts. God goes before and we follow after. Because if we don't follow after, God's just gone. And that's, uh, that's funny, but if God's gone, then you're on your own, um, which is not a good place to be in. Um, Simon warned us wisely, very wisely, a few weeks ago about a very common misapplication of Old Testament promises from God to Israel about the land. And I'm not saying that God is going to drive everyone out of the country 
um, or that he's going to get everyone out of Watford and it's just going to be us because I like you guys but <laughs> variety is the spice of life um, no it, it, that's not what God said that's not what I'm saying that God is going to do one day when Jesus returns there will be a sort of a, a type of thing like that will take place and there will be a judgment but that's a completely different thing and we're not talking about that this morning so much so what I'm saying is that we can apply the principle of God going before because it occurs repeatedly throughout scripture as we'll see um, so God goes before as we read God promises the Israelites the Israelite tribes as they go to the province that's given to them so that this is what was happening they they got in they sort of the military strategy was they driven in sort of and divided the, the territories and then what was happening was from the, the kind of central base, not necessarily central, but from the, the hub where they all were, the different tribes were going and they were taking over their specific territory. So it was then, as instead of Israelites going all together, it was like the tribe of Gad would go there, the tribe of Dan would go there, Reuben over there, and so they were responsible for taking over and subduing the people in their, their little section and driving them out. And God was saying, as you go and do that, each individual tribe, I'm going to drive them out before you. So as you step out in faith that I'm going to do it, I will do it. I'll give you victory. So he's not saying that there's nothing for the Israelites to do. It's not like, wait here, and I'll go and get rid of them, and then you can come in after. It's, that's not what it is. It's, as you go out, I'll get rid of them as you step out in faith and do what I've told you to do. Okay. Micah 2 verse 13 says one who breaks open the way will go up before them they will break through the gate and go out their king will pass through before them the Lord at their head Romans 8 29 for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he that's Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters um, Romans 6 verses 4 and 5 we therefore we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life if we have been united with him like this in his death. If we have been united like this with him in, with, united like this with him in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Jesus has gone before us, gone before us and lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, been put in the grave, raised to life, and then he returned to heaven. He has gone before us and won the final victory over sin and death. So in a similar way to how Joshua led the campaign that secured the victory of the land. So the land was the Israelites. All they had to do was, in their small tribes, go out and take the territories given to them. In the same way, or in a similar way, Jesus has won the ultimate victory over sin and death but it still remains for us that he gives us assignments to, to go and take over territories, take over things, as he assigns us to do that. So Jesus has gone before, he's won the campaign, and now we're following after to take over some different sections, different aspects or different areas of our life. As I said, if God only goes before and we don't follow after, then God is gone, and it's... God's gone before and he's, Jesus has made that sacrifice but if you don't follow after and say I accept that I accept Jesus that you 
You lived a perfect life. You died on the cross for my sins. You rose again and returned to heaven. If you don't accept that as truth and what that means for you, then it has no benefit for you. So if we don't follow after God, we don't receive the benefits that we should do. So following after, onto the second part. Joshua sent the tribes of Israel out to take the land they've been given, and God calls us to follow after Jesus. He calls us to share in the victory won by Jesus, and it doesn't mean that everything we do will be a resounding success. It doesn't mean that we're all going to have the nicest car and a huge house and money that we can just throw it. We're not going to be like Scrooge McDuck who can swim around in all the money. It, what it does mean is that we'll have full and satisfying lives regardless <laughs> of circumstance. Paul says in, in his writings that he learnt what it meant to be content, whether he, he was in need or had plenty, whether he was able to provide for himself food or whether he was hungry. He, he knew what it was to be content because he was content in his role with God. I... Uh, Megan and I, my fiance, were, were buying a, a two-bedroom masonette thing just around the corner, and um, got a call on Thursday to say that the lady was thinking she might not actually want to sell it anymore. With sort of the sale had been agreed, we're waiting for her searches to be done, all that sort of thing. Um, and she she phoned up the solicitor and uh, not solicitor, the estate agent, and said, "I'm I'm not staying. I'm I'm staying here. I'm not selling." Um, because her and her partner, her husband, who they were moving to Australia and he'd gone ahead and they've, seen, they've sort of split up, they're not together anymore, which is more tragic to me, I think, than losing the, sort of the opportunity to live in that place, which would have been nice, but it's just one of those things. But I know that God has somewhere for us to live. He's got a home that's prepared for us that we're going to be able to use to serve him, which... I'm not, I, I can honestly say to you, the, one of the first things that popped into my head <laughs> when I got that phone call was, I should write a letter to that lady saying, I'm thinking of you, we're thinking of you, hope you're okay, there's a church just around the corner if you need to speak to anyone. And that, I'm, not, I'm not giving it sort of Barry, Barry the Biggin, you know, because I'm up here. <laughs> I'm saying that that's a genuine, that's, that's genuinely what came into me. I, I, I spoke to Andy and Simon about it and I spoke to my sister Rachel because I often talk to her about stuff um, and I, 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 I genuinely think that there's something's going to happen with that woman because of what's happened and we paid out a little bit of money for searches and stuff and all that sort of whatever and to me I think what a pittance to pay if she ends up getting saved or if she's even inched or closer to God what a, there's, there's, so it, just because something doesn't go exactly how we think it should doesn't mean that God's not uh, manoeuvring in that in that place. Um, anyway, that's sort of a bit of a side, really. Um, but just to share with you, it's just so bizarre because I thought that Megan was going to be really upset and sad that we didn't get it. And she was like, oh, that's a bit of a faff, isn't it? Because we have to look now. And that, that was it. That was the extent of the... So I'm just... I'm just Praise God, it's just so blessed because there's so much stuff going on. It's just amazing. It's weird. So chilled out about it. Anyway, <laughs> I like to be chilled out. <laughs> I felt God highlight three areas of land. So that's not real physical land, but metaphorical land um, that we are to go in and possess. That's the land of self, so the land of ourselves. 
the land of service and the land of society. So I've gone through three S's there to try and make it a little bit easier to remember. Self, service, society. That's also quite funny if you think about it. Um, well, I think it is a self-service society when you, you serve yourself, which is not <laughs> what we're called to be. <laughs> um, anyway, so possess the land of self. We must rid ourselves of sin, taking ground for Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Jesus has already conquered sin, and so if we believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, then as Romans 6, 11, verse, verses 11 to 14 says, we should count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we do not let sin reign in our mortal bodies so that we obey its evil desires. Do not offer our parts of the parts of our body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness, for sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. So, I think God wants us to take possession of ourselves. It says in the, in the Bible that we are we're not our own, but we were bought at a price. If we if we believe we were we were bought with a price, we we belong to God. So we need to take possession of that and say, God, all that I am is given over to you. We sang that in one of the songs at the end, uh, the stand one. It says, All I am is yours. I stand with my my soul, all to you, surrendered. All that I am is yours. And that needs, if we're going to be have that as truth, then this verse says that we need to offer our parts of our body to God as instruments of righteousness, not offer them to sin as instruments of wickedness. And uh, I think, for me, that always speaks of, we can be so wrapped up in not sinning, we can be like, I'm not going to sin, I'm not going to sin, I'm really thinking about not doing that sin, and so it's on our mind that we end up doing it. Whereas, I think, if we offer our bodies as instruments of righteousness, instead of saying, okay, if I don't know if, someone, if anyone's had this problem, but thieving, I've never had an issue with it, so I feel comfortable talking about it. Um, if I was, if I was, oh, I'll see that, just tuck that in my pocket. Um, just, yeah, just slip a, slip a little five pound off the side in. Oh no, I haven't seen it. Instead of thieving things, or stealing them, we could offer our hands as instruments of righteousness, and say, I'm gonna do something practical with my hands, I'm gonna serve God by giving things to people, like serving on a Sunday with the teas and coffees, that's, and I, it sounds a little bit twee, I think, but it's for me, it's literally like that. If you say, my hands caused me a problem, Jesus says, if your hand causes you a problem, cut it off, because it's better to have one hand and be holy than have two hands and not be. What I'm saying is, if your hands are causing you a problem, cut them off from what the problem is, and put them to good use. There's a saying that and it's just a stand, it's not in the Bible, it says, the devil makes work for idle thumbs. If you're sitting there and you're bored, it's going to be like, oh, what can I do? Uh, and you're going to come up with something that's probably not great. If you're proactively serving God, you're going to have... So- this is how I feel like I need to live my life sometimes. I need to be so busy serving God that there's no opportunity for me to sin, because even if I wanted to, I'd be too tired. Um, <laughs> I've just skipped out of page there. <laughs> that would be weird. Um, so we need to possess the land of self. We need to take hold of areas of our lives and say, this is a problem for me. How can I use that energy 
to do something good, something proactive. Um, often makes me laugh when I think about um, who was the guy, Bonds, Bonds Bank, not Bonds Bank, Rogue Trader guy, Fairy oh, Bank. That's that guy. What makes <laughs> you know he's, he works for like banks as a security advisor. After he he took pl this guy, he he was working a stock exchange, and he very basically my understanding of it is that he was running out of money. He sort of he messed up and made lost made a loss on some money, so he borrowed money from his own bank and bought shares to try and boost the price of those shares up so that he could sell them and make the money back. And he just kept doing it and ended up stitching himself up and wrecking one of the banks that had been sort of around, the oldest bank in England it was, and he, he bankrupted them by doing this stuff. And he, en he is now a security advisor for banks on how they can look for, for people who are doing fraud. <laughs> and it's, have you ever seen the movie Catch Me If You Can? Yeah. That, was, that was based on a true story, a real guy, and he did all those things, and he's now a fraud investigator for the FBI. And he was a guy who pretended to be a doctor, pretended to be a lawyer. Actually, I think he had to genuinely be passed the law exam, but that's besides the point. What I'm saying is, if you've got energy to sin, you've got energy to serve God. And so we need to offer our, our, the parts of our body, our, the parts of our lives, as instruments of righteousness rather than offering them to sin. Possess the land of service. So we possess the land of self, and we possess the land of service. If we are God's workmanship, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's Ephesians 2, verse 10. There are things that God's prepared for you to do, for me to do. There are miracles that he wants to perform through us. Um, and to me, it's mind-blowing. God could quite easily, as we've read in a few passages, they're having a fight and he wants to get involved, so bing, some hailstones come down. Like proper, I don't know how big they were, but they were huge enough to hurt someone, as opposed to the, the little ones. Um, the walls of Jericho, God says, walk round it and I'll do that and squash the walls down. God wants us to be involved in his plans. He's quite capable. He spoke when there was nothing. He said, let there be, and there was stuff. There was, it's, I don't think we can even get our minds around the fact that there was nothing. But he said, let there be, and there was stuff. The earth, everything that's in it. But what, what blows my mind is that God, who can go, be healed, or it doesn't even just go, mm, I think I'll heal that person, and they'll just be healed. That can happen, but he says, no, I want you, person who can't do anything constructive of their own sort of power, to go and say, be healed in Jesus' name for the glory of God, and then people will be healed. He wants us to be involved in it. Um, one of the values of the church is the giving of our lives, time, and money in the service of God's mission. And the fact that God wants us to be involved should be enough to spur us on. The fact that you're, if you consider yourself a member of this church, then that should spur you to be involved in God's mission. I, I want this to, to challenge us a bit. It's Romans 12 says to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In the Old Testament, King David said, after these, he said, oh, I'm really thirsty. And these guys, they fought through, oh, Andy preached on it a while ago, they fought for all of these these people and they, they killed a load of guys and they went and got him this water from this well of his hometown. And he, he gets they come back and they go, 
King David, we, we went and did all this stuff and we've got some water for you. And he, he looked at it and he poured it out on the floor and said, that's an offering to God because I won't give to God that which costs me nothing. So I'm gonna, I want to challenge us and this may not be right for you at, the to- at this time, but I believe that when we serve God on mission, when we give of our lives, when we give of our time, and I, I'm, we're doing really well with money as a church, so I don't want to sort of speak to that too much, but particularly time and our lives, it should hurt a little bit. Mm. Now, I, that's my personal conviction, it should hurt a little bit. I was speaking to Rachel yesterday, um, and I, I, I was doing a lot of my sermon prep yesterday, and um, she said, oh, you're not seeing Megan today? And I said, no. She said, you didn't see her yesterday? I said, no. She said, you're not seeing her tomorrow? I said, probably not. Because I've got a sermon prep to do. I've got um, other church activities to, to organize and get done. And that hurts me a bit because three days not seeing my fiance, that's one day not seeing my fiance is agony enough for me. But oh. Oh. <laughs> I hope she listens to that bit. <laughs> <laughs> When we're serving God, it should, when we're giving of ourselves, it should, it should hurt a little. Just to, even if it's just a little bit, it should hurt a little bit. If it's, I'm not saying be stupid and say, "Here's all my money. I can't live on anything for the month." I'm saying, "Oh, if I give that much, it might mean that oh, I can't go out for Nando's twice a week like I like to." <laughs> you know? <laughs> I really don't mean that, Robert. Six months ago, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love Nando's. <laughs> I must have filled out about four or five of those, you know, get free whole chicken things. So good. Um, anyway, if we as a church are serving God and giving of our lives to his mission, we will begin to possess the land of society. That's the third F. So self, service, and society. We have a responsibility to engage, influence, and change the culture that we live in. Proverbs, Proverbs is a fantastic book. If you're, even if you're not a young man, but if you're a man, I would recommend even just for one month, there's, there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Read a chapter a day, and if it's February, read two on the first day and two on the last day, and it works out. Um, if you, if, if you want to increase your level of wisdom, read Proverbs. Just for one month, read it one chapter a day. And I tell you, you'll... You'll be looking at things in such a different way that your your entire life will be changed. Um, anyway, Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. There are various verses throughout the Bible that are, like this, that are a call to believers, the church, to defend the rights of those who are destitute, to speak up and judge fairly for poor and needy people. And the poor doesn't necessarily mean people who don't have any money. That can be the poor as in people who are trapped in a scenario. They, they, they're in need of someone to come and help them get out of it. Um, but the Bible also says we're to be light of the world, that we're to let our light shine before men and women. We, we do this as a mo- at the moment as a church through things like Friends of Tuero, 
where we did the uh, the sponsored run. That's so that's this is a kind of okay. Why are you all running around? Sponsored things are not that unusual in in the in the world, but why are you doing it? It's different. We're doing it to support this these people, and I'm not speaking against charities because I think a lot of the stuff they do is fantastic. But some of them you hear, and it's like, well, actually, only this amount of money gets to that charity because this amount is done on this person needs to be paid and that person needs to be paid. Whereas we know that when we give to things that are endorsed by the church, particularly us as a church, that the money is getting to where it needs to get to. And I'm not sort of saying charities are bad because they're not, they're fantastic, but as a church we need to be doing a bit more. Um, so social action projects like the Noise Weekend that's coming up, that's a kind of way that we can express and show that we want to engage with society and change the culture that's around us. Um, there's a, a New Day conference, which is a, a conference for teenagers, or 12 to 19s, and you go and they uh, they go out. Am I doing time? Sorry, sorry no worries. Um, they go out and they do social action projects. Um, I'll make it a quick five. Mm -hmm. um, another way that we can affect society is, is particularly apt at the moment is through the way that we vote. I'm not going to say vote for this party, vote for that party. What I would say is vote for morality rather than money. Vote for the party that best reflects your your moral standing rather than the one that you think might, or they might reduce this level of tax or that level of tax, so then I'll have a bit more in, in my bum seat. Vote for morality rather than money. And through we change society, we influence culture through telling people the message of Jesus Christ, through um, explaining to them what Jesus has done in our lives and seeing their lives transformed by that. We influence culture through planting churches, not colonizing, but planting churches. So planting a church somewhere means that church reflects the culture and the people that it's in. It doesn't mean we go there and we go, Right, what you have to do is you all have to stand up really straight and you have to drink your tea and lift your little finger and that's that's what we do at the end. It means we reflect the culture that we're in. Okay, so I'll just conclude now because time's a bit tight. Um, Jesus has gone before us. He's secured the victory. He will return again triumphantly to bring an end to all pain and suffering. But until he does that, we need to follow behind. We need to learn from his example of a sinless life we need to be changed more and more to his likeness we need to be serving the church and giving of our lives to support its mission and leaders we are to live our lives to serve in a way that will engage and influence others in our culture and in our society we need to follow where God has gone when God goes before we need to follow on we need to not try and get ahead of God because we'll be trying to do stuff in our own strength and we need to not be too far behind God because we just we'll lose momentum then. Okay, I'll just finish it there. Okay. I just want to pray quickly um, and then we'll finish. Father God, we thank you for the fact that you go before us. We thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, came and lived a perfect life. He died. He went and he died for us so that us now who follow on from him that as we go sort of our lives go towards the end where we're going to die 
we know you've gone before. You've been in the grave and he's raised, you've been raised again. We thank you that that promise is, if you go before, yes, that applies to that, that we are following you into death and then into new life. I thank you so much, Father, that your, your son was willing to do that. We praise you. We say, Lord, you are high and exalted as we, as we sang this morning. You are the name above all names. You are the name above cancer. You are the name above all disease, all infirmity, all injustice in the world. You are the name that is above all of those things. And so we say, Lord, glorify yourself in our lives. Help us to possess the land of our lives. Help us to offer our, the parts of our body as instruments of righteousness to you. Help us to, to serve your church in a way that is meaningful and in a way that, that, that would impact the society around us. Help us as a church to, to know what, what projects we need to do, where, what areas of, of the town that we need to be influencing, what areas of the world that we need to be sending funds to, we need to send, sending people to. I pray in Jesus' name that you would bless us. Wonderful stuff. Thank you, Aaron. Um, if you want to receive prayer today, if you feel that God's really speaking to you through the entire service, um, there's been so much going on this morning, healing, hearing about healing, sure healing's been happening too, but prayer from what's been brought this morning too. Please do stay behind the ministry team who can wave. The guys are up the back there. There's one down the front here. They'll, they'll pray with you. Be happy to pray.